0: All right, so if you want to follow along, this is Numbers 16, 26. He warned the assembly, Move back from the tents of the wick- these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abraham. Dathan and Abraham had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances of the tents. And Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all the things that was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt." As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community.
1: Not your uh, typical uh, opening start to a Bible uh, sermon, right? Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. Uh, You are a God who uh, has plans for his people, Lord, that has had plans for your people since the Old Testament, through Adam and Eve and Abram, Abraham, to the nation of Israel, to us, your children today. Lord, we pray that as we uh, encounter you in your word, Lord, that you speak that you change us, that you help us see ourselves a little more clearly as to who you've made us to be, some of the challenges that we're facing in in the life that you're calling us to. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. The Bible is uh, a series of books that, for me as a pastor, uh, continually finds ways to surprise me. Right? So we we do sermon series. We always do something out of the Bible, but going through the Torah, the series we're going through now, the first five books of the Bible, I was again reminded how much happens in the book of Numbers. You know, typically when you think about the exciting books of the Bible, you think Genesis. Okay, the world's being made. Noah's ark, right? The story of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. Right? These huge stories. Right? But when you look through the book of Numbers, it has as many narratives in it as almost any other Old Testament book of the Bible. Some of them are as remarkable as the one that Tony just read. But literally, the earth swallowing up people. But what's interesting about the book of Numbers, in fact, for me, and I'm reflecting this week as I prepared for this message, is how much of it is like an actual road trip? But that's what was going on throughout the entire book of Numbers, right? A little bit of history of what's been going on. God's people were slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, the Egyptians mistreated the Israelites. But God had promised, I'm not done with you yet. I have not forgotten you and he made them a promise. And in fact, in um, Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and following, God tells Moses this. He says, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and has said, I have watched over you and I have seen what uh, has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery and into, he says, a land flowing with milk milk and honey. That was the promise, that God would take them from slavery, from bondage, to this land flowing with milk and honey. And we don't use that terminology much anymore, so typically what I tell people, if you want to know what the land flowing with milk and honey is, it's a low property taxes, good paying jobs, good schools, right? God says, I have prepared a place to you that will be fruitful, that you can grow, that you can flourish as a people And he promised them this. He said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt with my mighty hand. And so through the first half of Egypt, he does that. He sends the 10 plagues on to Pharaoh and all of Egypt to bring his people out, to bring them into security. And then in the back half of Exodus, he talks the laws and the regulations of how to live as the people of God. Last week, we looked at the book of Leviticus and we talked about how we have a pure God, and how he wants us to be pure so we can have a relationship with him. And so the entire book of Leviticus is about purity. It's about how we have a relationship with God that connects us to him, that we can have consistency in, that we can have faith in. But then you get to the book of Numbers, and this is where God tells his people, now I am going to fulfill my promise to you. We are going to move from Mount Sinai. We're going to move from where I've given you Ten Commandments, and I am going to bring you into this land flowing with milk and honey. And this trip, this road trip with all the people, is supposed to take about three weeks. The book of Numbers is 40 years long. Think about that for a road trip, right? I mean, we've all gone on road trips. We've all had road trips delayed a little bit, right? You have to get, you get snowed in, or weather comes, or a tire breaks out, and so you lose a couple days. Right? We, we've experienced a road trip like that, but a three-week road trip that turns into 40 years. That, that's a heavy road trip. Something's gone wrong, and something went wrong in the book of Numbers. And even how we call it the book of Numbers is a bit of a misnomer, because it gets its name, because the very start of uh, Numbers says this, The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day, and he said, Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. So it starts with a giant census. And the census is just a bunch of numbers. And so for a long time, that is how scholars and theologians called the book. But if you were to go into ancient Jewish writings, they don't call it numbers. They actually call it uh, B-Midbar, which means in the wilderness. Because the entire book of Numbers is them in the wilderness. And what we're going to find out is in that wilderness, there was a reason why they got stuck there for so long. And that's the point of Numbers. That's what we're going to walk through today. And so we are literally going to go from chapter one to the end and figuring out why a three-week road trip lasted as long as it did. starts off, and what we see is the first ten chapters, God is just setting up, the prep work for the road trip. Now, any of you road trippers know you want a good prepper, right? I am not a good prepper. You can ask my wife. It was up, if it was up to me, I would just take like an overnight bag, right? Throw it in the car. It doesn't matter if I'm going to be gone four or five weeks. We're going to be fine, right? But my wife, she is fantastic. She gets all the right snacks. She packs the car the right way, turns into like a giant Tetris match, right? Again, like I would just throw stuff in the back, but no, she's got this thing laid out so we can get to the snacks, so we can get to our first night bag, so we can get to our second night bag, so all the dog stuff is there, right? You want to prep well for your road trip, and so God wants his people to be prepped well. And so he takes the census, and then he lays them out as a community. Because what's going to happen is every day when they move, They're going to have to reset up camp. We've got some scouts here, right? That's a big deal, right? You want to make sure your your camp is set out the right way. You want to be close to the latrines. You want to make sure you have water, all this kind of stuff. So God sets up the camp. And the big thing, the big takeaway in the first 10 chapters is how God sets up their camp. He essentially makes it into a giant plus sign with all these people, with the tribes laid out north, south, east, and west around the tabernacle around the tent where God would dwell. God would be at the center of their camp, at the center of their community. And what's more, it's not just a tent. It's not like they just had a church service and so they put the gazebo in the middle or whatever. It's not just that. No, God does something rem- uh, remarkable and miraculous with his people. This is from Numbers chapter nine. On the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant of the law was set up. The cloud covered it from evening till morning the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire this is how it continued to be the cloud would cover it and at night it looked like fire whenever the cloud lifted from the tent the israelites set out wherever the cloud settled the israelites encamped at the lord's command the israelites set out and his command they encamped and as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle they remained encamped you guys see what's happening here They set up this giant tent for God, the tent that he had planned in the book of Exodus. And this cloud shows up, and this pillar of fire shows up. Have you ever wanted a sign from God? Like, wouldn't that be easier? Like, if you could just know, God, if you can give me, ideally, I don't know, I'm kind of dense, like a neon sign that says, go this way, go that way, right? That's what God does. He sets the whole tent up, he sets the whole camp up, He's in the middle, and he puts this cloud in the center of it. It's a miraculous moment. And this cloud starts moving, and that's when the people know, oh, the cloud's moving. Everyone pack your stuff up. Let's follow the cloud, and it will tell us where to go. And then at night, this giant pillar of firewood. I mean, this is the neon sign on steroids, right? God is going to track with them, is going to direct where their road trip is going to go. And that is the first part of Numbers. It's just setting up the scene. It's setting up God saying, I'm going to be the center of your faith. I'm gonna be the center of your community and you will know I am with you because I am physically going to show myself to you, All right? That's, that's the first part of Numbers. I didn't wanna take one little uh, side step because there is one other uh, phrase in Numbers that you guys hear a lot this comes from Numbers chapter 6. Tell Aaron, who was one of the priests and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. Does those words sound a little familiar to y'all? Do those words sound a little familiar to y'all? They should. It's the benediction that we use after most Sundays. And that comes directly from the book of Numbers where God sets his people up and he says, this is the blessing, this is the benediction that I want you to give my people when you see them as the priests of God. The Lord bless you and keep you, take care of you and shelter to you. The Lord look upon you with favor, with grace. The Lord give you peace. That comes directly from this section of scripture in the book of Numbers. All right, detour over, back onto the main plot. All right, so the people set out. And in going, right, you're in this huge camp. There are thousands and thousands of thousands of people traveling. They've left Egypt, but they don't have herds yet. They don't have massive uh farms, right? So they need to be taken care of, they need to be provided for. And so in the book of Exodus, God had said, don't worry, I'm going to provide food for you. I'm going to provide for you manna, which was this bread-like dew that would miraculously appear in the morning. And then I'm going to provide quail for you at night. And so this was kind of their traveling food. And the manna was sweet. It was like really good-tasting bread. I always think of it like the elven bread from Lord of the Rings, this miraculous bread that just shows up, right? But every morning it would show up and we would feed them and then quail would come at night and then they could cook that for their dinner. This is their road tripping food. But as anyone on a road trip has ever tried to do, the more people you get in the car, the more differences you're going to have of where you should stop to eat, right? Well, I want to go to McDonald's. I want to go to Chick-fil-A. I want to go here. No, 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 we, we, we pre-packed food, kids, Right, we've, we've got peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We have these huge fights. That's essentially what the Israelites start doing. And this is the first challenge, starting to plant the seeds of why they spend as much time in the wilderness as they do. This comes from Numbers chapter 11, 4 to 6. The rabble with them began to crave other food and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate at we ate in Egypt at no cost. They had uh, cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic and butterfingers and snickers. But when we have now lost our appetite, we'll never see anything but this manna. They start complaining about the food that God is miraculously providing for them. And th- that would be bad, right? When God gives you something, gives you daily bread, and you say, ah, I want something different, though. Yeah, you're sustaining me today, but I'd really like this daily bread instead. But it goes even further than that. Remember how I told you the story starts? The people were slaves in Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt, And they ate at no cost. Well, why did they eat at no cost? Because you feed your slaves. Right? You don't want them to die. They are literally complaining that they're no longer slaves. That, that's how messed up their thinking was in the middle of the wilderness. They're already saying... We'd rather be a slave to something than have liberty in this moment. And the irony, manna and quail, it was just the road trip. It wasn't the long-term plan that God had for his people. It wasn't supposed to be 40 years of manna and quail. It was supposed to be a couple weeks just to hold them over until they could get to that land flowing with milk and honey. But like so many of us, myself at the front of the line, when we talk about daily bread, it can be so easy to say, well, yeah, God, you provided me this, but I'd really rather have that. Yeah, God, you've given us this house, this shelter, this apartment, but I'd rather have this one. And in fact, if it means that I have to go back to sin to get it, Maybe that's the better choice, right? there's, There's broken thinking here that is going to corrode the Israelites' relationship with God. So much so that the next story, it starts to get fleshed out more, right? So they're already complaining, but eventually they get to the outskirts of the land that they're supposed to go. This land flowing with milk and honey. The problem was, there were countries that were there. Countries that had popped up between when Abraham was promised the land and when they showed up. And so what they decided to do is, they say, hey, we should send some spies into the country and kind of check things out, see how things are going. So Moses sent to them to explore Canaan, and he said, go through the mountains, go into the hill country, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they have? Are they walled or fortified? How's the soil, fertile or poor? Are there trees in it? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So all the tribes, they all send out emissaries. They all head out there and they come back and this is what they say. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. And they reported to them, to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey here is the fruit. And they have these huge grapevines that they trot out. Like, this is fantastic land. God has honored his promise. This place, it's the bee's knees. Awesome. And if that was the end of the story, the road trip would have taken two, three weeks. That, that's not the end of the story. They follow that immediately with, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and large. We saw the descendants of giants there. Yes, we see what God has promised us. Yes, he's been faithful to us, but hey, um, it's not a good idea. We're not strong enough. It's too big. Yes, God, but. And that's something I struggle with. Yes, God, I believe this, but do you see this challenge? Do you see this issue? Do do you see this problem? And that begins to seed into the whole community. That night, all the members of the community raised their voice and wept out loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly, the entire community, said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a new leader and go back. We'd rather be slaves than have faith. and the whole group, everyone except two people. Caleb was one of the spies and Joshua with him. And they came back and they said, we should take possession of the land for we can certainly do it because God is with us. Remember that God who got us out of Egypt? And for fair warning, Egypt was a much bigger country than the ones they were going to. Egypt was the first world country of the day. They had the biggest armies, they had the strongest weapons, and God had taken them out of that. They had seen him part the Red Sea. They knew they had a faithful God. They knew God was for them, and yet in those two weeks, they forgot. And now they're looking at this smaller obstacle that God had promised to be with them, that God had promised to overcome for them. And instead of remaining faithful, they said, you know what? We, we don't think we can do it. We'd rather go back to bondage than have faith in this moment. And this is where the story breaks down. And this is where two to three weeks turns into 40 years. The Lord said to Moses, Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me here, ten times they tested me, he said. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised as an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will see it, but my servant Caleb, who has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to, and and his descendants will inherit it. Not one of you will enter into the land I swore to uphold to you, except Caleb and Joshua. But your children that you said will be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land flowing with milk and honey. There is a consequence when we, as God's children, choose not to follow him. It doesn't mean that God stops loving us. It doesn't mean that God stops being faithful to us. God was still faithful to the people who said we want to go back to Egypt. He still cared for them. He still sent manna and quail to them every night. But the consequence of their sin was they would no longer have access to the promises and the good things God had for them. And, and that, that's something that all of us have to understand. Yes, we have Christ. Yes, we have forgiveness of sins. But sin has consequence. And the consequences are different for all of us, for different situations. And yet when we choose not to be satisfied with the daily bread, the manna God gives us, when we instead grumble, when we instead go back from where he's calling us and choose something different, there's a consequence to that. And, and the people, the Israelites, that consequence meant 40 years in the wilderness just waiting literally for that generation to die off. That's what it was. They would literally just all have to die so their kids could then get their inheritance. And that's what happens. Forty years they wait. Forty years God provides they just literally walk around in circles, waiting for the next generation to be faithful to God and for God to honor the promise he wanted to give them. That he loved them, that he was going to care for them, and that he was going to provide for them. It even hits Moses. The people are complaining about water. And don't get me wrong, I feel for Moses, right? Moses was the emissary of God. So all the complaining, all the Moses, why aren't you doing it this way? Why aren't we doing church that way? Right? Moses took all of that. So I, I feel for him. right? But he gets frustrated so much so that God says, all right, they want water. Go to the rock. Give them water. And Moses kind of throws a bit of a hissy fit. Right? He gets up in front of people. He grabs his staff. He's like, oh, you want water? I'll show you water. And he slams the staff down. And water comes... But God says, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, because you had a hissy fit, you are not going to make it into the land either. Joshua will lead them. Sin has consequences. It actually gets in the way of the promises God has for you. And for your family. And again, God still provided for his people. He still loved his people. He was still caring for his people. But there's consequences to that. Like a really long road trip. It's consequences like we read with Tony. where it was, it was so great that the earth literally swallowed up families to tell them this is not the way God has for you. In chapter 21, the people are grumbling. God sends snakes, literally poisonous, venomous snakes, terrorizes the whole land. There's a consequence to their sin. But he had a solution. He tells Moses, put a bronze snake up and raise it up on a pole. And when they look to that pole, they will live. Some 2,000 years later, Jesus shows up and he goes on a pole. And he references that. He says, God's not done with you, but there is a consequence. And ultimately, the consequence of sin is death. And so Jesus says, I'll I'll take that. I love you this much we talked about last week. But so often it's easy for us as Christians to dismiss it because we're like, oh, our sins are paid for. It can't be that bad. It, It is that bad. The story of Numbers is a story that again and again and again emphasizes the consequence of sin, emphasizes the consequence of breaking faithfulness with God and what he's trying to do. But One of my favorite verses in Scripture comes in uh, John, where it says, Even if we are faithless, God will remain faithful because he cannot dishonor himself. There are times where all of us are faithless. Where God's provided us daily bread and we're grumbling because we don't have this job or this house or this experience. There are times where all of us are faithless, where we know God is calling us to love a certain way or forgive a certain way or act a certain way. And we're like, no, 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 that's too hard. That conflict at work, that conflict in my family, I don't want to get into that. So I'll rather just go back and continue to talk about them behind their back or begrudge them. All of us are faithless, and yet we have a God who is faithful because he can't dishonor or deny himself. And that's what's so cool about how the book of Numbers ends. The last narrative story, before they take one more census, before the people go into the land God has promised them, is this weird story of a king who sees the Israelites coming. And he's freaking out because he's heard about what they did to to the Egyptians. He sees God's moving, right? So the people of God are having trouble believing in him. But the king, he's like, oh, no, no, God is with them. And so he calls a priest, a good priest. And he says, I need you to curse the Israelites. I need you to put curses on them. Maybe this will solve our problem for him. And so the guy's like, all right, do what you want me to so he goes to God, he's praying before God, and he says this. Uh, this horde is going to look up everything. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so Balaam goes to God. People come out, right? Uh, a people have come out of Egypt, covers his face the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight against them and drive them away. So God, he's saying, help me put a curse on the people of Israel. And God says to this priest, you must not put a curse on them because they are blessed. And so the priest is like, okay, well, I'll just back it away from this. I don't want any part of this. And God's like, no, 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 go. Do what the king wants you to. Go try to put a curse on them. So he gets up on this hill. He's like, all right, I'm going to try this. And instead of cursing them, he just puts blessing after blessing after blessing on them. Because God was still faithful to his people. Because ultimately, our covenant, our connection, our relationship with God is not based on whether or not his people are good enough, we as Acts Church are good enough, or you as an individual is good enough. The good news, the gospel, is it's always been about God's faithfulness to us, even when we faithfulness to him we have a god who will remain faithful to you who is faithful to you even when you're wrestling with what he's trying to do even when you have your doubts even when you like me so often end up running away as far and as fast as you can from his plans acting like a little jerk on a road trip god i want this not that the good news is god still is fighting for you is interceding for you and even those who would do you ill that are trying to put quote unquote curses on you you have a god who is saying no they are my children and i want them to be blessed That is the good news. That is the relationship we have in Jesus. If the exegesis of numbers, if the point of numbers is seeing the consequences when we rebel, and there are consequences, the good news is those consequences don't stop God working for you or your family or your children. And we see that most clearly in the story of Jesus, right? That's where all of this is culminating up to. That's why God puts these Easter eggs in the Old Testament that keep pointing to there's going to be a guy who's going to go on a pole and it's going to start to fix things. There's going to be a lamb and a goat that we're going to put all the sin on and it's going to fix things. God had a plan and he was going to remain faithful to his people and he's faithful to you and he's inviting you to follow him. That's what the giant road trip was. An invitation from God to his people, come, follow me. Which is why when Jesus shows up with his disciples, what does he say? He says, come, follow me. And his disciples didn't do it perfectly. When the going got tough, they all scattered, right? The night that he was betrayed, they all left. And yet even then, God was faithful to them. Even then, Jesus was saying, I still love you this much. And then he comes back and he recommissions them. And so church, hear me clearly. God continually recommissions you to come follow after him. To learn to experience that life and life to the full that he promises his disciples he the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy, to put you back in bondage, back in slavery, to sin, to brokenness, to all the division of the world. But I have come, he says, that you may have life and life abundantly. You have a God who forgives you so you may experience that life and that love and that you may share that life and that love with everyone you come in contact with. Amen. I'm going to invite Tanner up. He's going to share with us a song. We're going to have a prayer. Uh, and as Tanner is praying, uh, families, you guys can uh, get up and go and gather your children. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You're a faithful God, even when we wrestle with our own faithfulness. Lord, we pray that we, we hear your voice clearly. Lord, that we are bold, that we can be like Caleb and Joshua. And though we realize there are real challenges in this world, you are a God who has overcome the world. And so when you send us in as your agents and as ambassadors of love and the gospel, Lord, let us be bold and courageous and graceful as you have been so graceful to us. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Families, you all can go get
0: your little ones as we uh, stand and sing.